Well, welcome back to the Friars on the Farm podcast. My name is Donovan Jones. I'm your host, and I'm joined as usual. Right next to me is Roy Thomason. Hello, everyone. How you doing, Roy? I'm doing great. I made one bad choice this weekend, though. <laughs> What's that? I went to the Padres game on Sunday. Ah, you know we. You know it's not life or death, but it certainly would have ruined my serenity. Well, the the, the problem wasn't just that I went to the game and watched the Padres get embarrassed by the Cubs in front of mostly Cubs fans, right. but I also missed what sounds like a much more exciting game on the television with some of our best prospects. Uh, absolute blast. It, it, it was, you know, not only because I'm emotionally invested into the players that we have, but it was just a funner game. Last year's there weren't, I don't think there were any home runs last year. Um, there were several home runs. It seemed more relaxed. Um, it seemed... I don't know because of the managers with Tory Hunter, you know, with the Team USA and David. I saw Vlad Guerrero in the dugout, right? Uh-huh. Vladdy, uh, and then uh, David Ortiz being the manager. You know, two of those personalities kind of are really outgoing and really friendly, like have fun. You know, uh, it just seemed like it was a much more relaxed and enjoyable experience than usual. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I tell you, I, I, I just, I was just—it was so nice. It was so nice having guys. It was, it's. You know, I, I'm a lifelong Padre fan, folks, and born and raised in the city, and I've never had anything like this. It's like a shiny new car that you don't deserve. And well, I, I mean, we, the, we put in our dues <laughs> for this shiny God. car. But to have these guys talk about Fernando and talk about Udias and, and you know talk about Buddy Reed and everyone that's not there um, was just—it was just like I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> f yeah. That's right. We're going to be good someday. Hopefully. You know? <laughs> Hopefully. And, you know, Hopefully. And, and if nothing for nothing, if all these prospects come up and we're still a subpar team, we still had our time. Yes. We had our minor league guys. Oh, it, 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 <laughs> they're trying to build it so that this continues. Yeah. And this isn't a one and done, yep. all in kind of a thing. They want to build this nice foundation of player development and recruiting and all this so that this is a continuing thing. We don't just see this swell of all these prospects coming in and then it falls flat and it's another decade of doldrums. Right. And our, our the next, you know, we'll, we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the uh, podcast here, but you know, most of our guys are 18, 19 years old. I mean, we're going to talk about Hudson Potts here later on and and I'm trying to figure out ways to getting him up here in 2020. Mm-hmm. And he's probably not going to get up till maybe 21, 22. Yep. And still be 21 or 22 years old. You know, I mean, if he, if, if, if just real quick, if Hudson Potts gets up at the age of 22, if, if everything progresses as well and he does well in double A, you know, performs in, in triple A and, and earns a promotion uh, and is who we think he is and who he looks to be, um, 22-23 is a young, solid third base that could be that hot. could be in the corner spot forever mm-hmm. for, for years to come. Well, and we tend to look at the year that they're kind of due to arrive, like oh they're going to hit and that's going to be it. But right. that's not how right. it really works. A player gets up to the majors and it's rare that they succeed right away. Right. Usually there's a half season, a full season of adjustments and struggles, and then they come into their own age 24, 25, 26. Right. I guess. 25, uh, biologically, I guess 25 is like when your body is like at the peak, like it's done, kind of growing. Um, 
and I've, heard, I've actually heard that watching baseball. It's like at 24, 25 is when your body is uh, like you're at the peak maturity of your body. Uh, that's why most of the time, you know, at 24, 25, 27 and above is when you're in your peak as a baseball player. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so Roy missed it. I watched every inning of it. It was the it was the Futures game. And it showcased Fernando Tatis Jr. It showcased Luis Udias. And it showcased Buddy Reed. And, and I tell you, all eyes were on Fernando Tatis Jr. They, uh, the the players had a um, the players had a had a poll. Were, were given a poll, and they were asked, "Who do you think was going to have the most impact on this game?" And Fernando Tatis Jr. had more uh, votes than anyone else. Okay. Um, well, he's got the power, the speed. He's a middle of the infield kind of player. Right. You know, there was a couple guys that. Could, Hit a couple of home runs and you know did a lot more at the plate, but overall, and I think we'll touch on this a little bit later on. Overall, best player there was Fernando Tatis Jr. Well, he was actually voted that way. Uh, Baseball America rated him the best player in the Futures game. So they said in batting practice he showed raw power. In the game he went two for four. Um, he hit a single off Hunter Green. Hunter Green came in and just his job is to go in and throw gas. Dude, he's he's got to break and stuff, but BBs. He he just went in there to throw triple digits. Tatis turned a 102-mile-an-hour fastball around with 107-mile-an-hour velocity for a single, a low-and-inside low pitch, yeah. and he turned on it at yeah. 102 miles an hour yeah. with his long arms. That's just incredible. Um, Whoa, real quick, sh- the pitch before that was like this get-me-over-slider, and he, and he spit on it. It was like, I'm not even going to touch it. Mm-hmm. Next pitch was that inside high fastball, and it's... 102. Yeah. Jesus. And he still turned on it. I mean, most hitters would be fighting to fight that off and maybe hit a little squibber the other way. And then there was a pitch on the outside that he hit to the opposite field for a single. Um, When Tatis played shortstop, he showed good range to his left. Then when he moved over to third base, he unleashed a plus arm. So he showed off every tool that he had. So the stack has had his throw from third to first at 91. Okay. And people are like, that's 91 miles an hour coming across the, you know, on a frozen rope. Yeah. So and that's, that's not a crow hop into it. That's, that's no. not a pitching wind up. That's pick the ball and chuck it. Ah. Uh, you know, I mean, there's just, but for, for everything with Fernando and everything with Luis Urias, I, I really feel it was Buddy Reed's coming out party. Um, he, you know, he didn't start the game, but he came out later on in, uh, and, and, and played center field. His first at-bat, you know, he told his mom. And later on in, in the game, they have a camera on him, and he's like, um, sorry, mom. And they're like, he's saying sorry about his mom, to his mom because he told his mom he's going to hit a home run. Well, he just <laughs> missed a home run. And, you know, it wasn't a lazy fly ball to left field. It was a ball that was hit, to, you know, to the warning track. Um, had a little, little launch angle. It was a little high, but um, he just missed it, you know. And... Did it go the other way? No, it was it was a pull. It, it was, was a pull. Left, it was okay. pull left field. He, he was bad right handed. He he hit it to left. Switch hitter. Yeah. So later on in the game, Buddy Reed gets up batting left handed and hits an infield single. Hits him between first and second, and he he ran it out. Second baseman couldn't get to it in time, and uh, you know so Buddy Reed went one for two, in you know essentially a kid in high A playing much much better pitching and much better competition. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, just in, yeah, I was just like, ah, okay, well, that's not even it. So later on, Tatis comes up and he crushes one into the right center field gap. 
You know, and that's what I love about Tatis is he's not trying to do too much with the pitches. He's hitting it where it is. If it's oppo, it's oppo. You know, the 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 almost home run he hit at the Futures game back uh, in the beginning of the season was an oppo taco off the uh, the, the the porch. What do you call that? The Petco oh, porch. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so what I love about you know the, Tony Gwynn used to say the true measure of a hitter is to be able to hit opposite field. Mm-hmm. And, and how many times do we see the pros try to pull that outside pitch and hit it to the shortstop or lefties? Pulling outside pitching, he hit the second base. Yep. He hits a laser into the right center field gap, and Buddy Reed, you see this Buddy Reed just take off and catches it three steps before it hits the wall. And he turns around and he's like, oh, oh. <laughs> later, later on, they played it back and he was mic'd up. He was like, oh, oh. And I guess Tatis ran to the corner, looked out, and smiled. And uh, I love that back and forth. God, you know. Uh, and then this is what this is what Buddy Reed said about it later on. I was close to hitting a home run in that first at bat, so I had to take something from him. I love Taddy, but man, I did enjoy doing that to him. I was pumped when he stopped between first and second and just looked up and smiled at me. <laughs> you know, they've been playing together for they they played together. Um, they played together for a while, and now Tatis is up in Double A. He's joined now up there with Buddy Reed, and um, I just I God, it just I was like. God dang, those are Padre prospects. Mm-hmm. You know? <sighs> Anyways, that was just, um, it was well, ph- phenomenal. This isn't Jace Peterson that you're watching out there. That they say, oh, he'll be a solid MLB regular. Right. No, these are people with game-changing skills. Right. Uh, there was a Fangraphs chat today with Kylie McDaniel, and somebody asked about, you know, with Buddy Reed's breakout, is this, do you buy it? Because the, the book was that he couldn't hit. But he didn't play baseball growing up. He played soccer and hockey. So hockey. he's got the athleticism. And Kylie's response was something along the lines that um, he sees some Lewis Brinson in him. That here's a guy with the tools and with the right kind of instruction. They can teach him how to hit. They can teach him the mechanics and the approach and these other things. Yeah. Um, so in the right system, you can you can bank, uh, bet on it. Yeah. Well, we'll go over that here in a little bit with uh, with the interview uh, with Buddy Reed that I, I picked up. But... He was so he was interviewed later on uh, in the dugout by one of the MLB uh, reporters, and he's like, "So why you know you you played hockey as a as a high school player? Why why did you pick baseball over hockey?" Without even missing a beat, I wanted to keep my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and uh, and I love that, and I I, I love the two way sport. I love the multiple sport player, um, the multiple disciplines, and multiple principles. Um, so that was the Futures game. It was, oh my, it was the best Futures game. I did it work a little bit, but I wasn't as much as interested as I was in the Futures game. Um, I did look to see it, you know, just real quick. Here's our Major League Minute. Is uh, I'd like to see if Brad Hand gave up any of those runs, and Brad Hand did not, in fact, give up any of those runs. Oh, no. He had a clean one inning. Well, yeah, and it was the last two outs of one inning, then he came out and got the first out of the, of the following inning. Okay. And that's when they brought in Ross Stripling, who gave up the game, and <laughs> our old friend Dave Roberts left his guy in there too long. Mm. It was clear from the start, apparently, that Stripling didn't have it. Didn't have it. And he just left his guy in there, and there went the game. So it, it was a, a flashback of last year's World <sighs> Series. So hopefully, and, and just going to play on this pun a little bit, hopefully, you know, that one full inning will up his trade value. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's bad. So um, moving on, uh, John Connor from Mad Friars had a chance to be out there in D.C. and was uh, was uh, had access to, you know, to all the players. He wanted to interview Tatis, Udias, and, and Buddy Reed. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of the excerpts here. I really would like, you know, give a plug to, to Mad Friars and those guys. Uh, there's a solid interview with each player. Um, 
If you guys just put down the coffee for one day, $5 a month, I do it. I don't even notice it's gone. Uh, and and uh, and subscribe to Mad Flyers. This is, uh, and I, I grabbed some quite nice, some nice interview questions here. So this is, uh, this is John Connor to Fernando Tatis. Uh, I thought you had one of the better tweets when you responded to a former San Diego Union Tribune writer tweeting that you might not be that good. You stepped back and just laughed at it with your own tweet. How were you able to do that? Tatis, I usually don't pay that much attention to what people say about me, but this time I wanted to show that guy that I wasn't worried. This game is tough, but as we were just talking about, there are ups and downs. I know who I am, and I know what I can do. I love that confidence. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then the professionalism in that, too. It's just like, he could have been a jerk and said something a little more harsh, but was very professional, very diplomatic, and... uh, But fun, too. But fun, exactly. Uh, I'll talk to you in September. Exactly. Oh, my God, that was a great day. And we still... We're going to call his home runs Boonskis. Yes. Um, on on Udius, um, Philip Wellman managed this. So that once again, this is John Conniff with uh, with Luis Udius. Uh, Philip Wellman, who managed you in San Antonio last year, talked about an adjustment you made in your stride this season. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Luis Udius, I'm trying to be more square to the ball so I can get to both the inside and outside pitches. It has really helped a lot. I saw in that interview, um, he was. They, they asked about his leg kick. Yeah. They asked about some of the mechanics that they've been questioning about. And he pointed out that the breaking balls that he's seen are much better quality than he's seen at the lower levels. The sequencing is much more advanced than he's seen at lower levels. And so it's it's not a mechanical adjustment. It's not a contact adjustment. It's It really is adjusting to that higher level yeah. and learning how they at- approach him and how they attack him. Um, and he's getting better. He's, he hit a home run yesterday. Yeah, he did. Um, he's all he's gotten back on a hot streak again. Yeah. So it's I, I wonder if this this up and down season he's had has been a series of adjustments that he's been making as the season's been going by, rather than a young guy getting overpowered in a in a, a new league. Right. And in and, and, and thinking on that same kind of adjustment period, you know, the talk of, of us being good in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, um, I think primarily may have to talk about the pitching more than than having Fernando and, and Luis Urias up. because um, it does I, I think pitching does better plays better in the majors than having to make the adjustments as a, as a position player and a hitter. Like, it's going to take, it can take those guys a half season, a full season to just get their feet underneath them because from AAA to the major leagues, it's a whole other ball game. So, um, but it's not uncommon to see a pitcher skip from AA up like Jake Peavy did. Right. Colin Ray did a couple years ago. Um, the, the league does adjust. They get their book. They see what right. their what their right. repertoire is and how, what they tend to do. But if you have a good catcher and a good pitching coach, then they can set up that game plan and they can adjust those things on the fly. If the pitcher trusts the catcher, the, a lot of these relation, guys have a good relationship with um, with Austin Hedges. Yeah. Uh, in... Um, uh, Lauer's game the other day, where he pitched the almost pitched a shutout. Yeah. He's I, apparently he didn't shake Hedges off once. It's just whatever Hedges put down, he was trusting it and going with it, and it worked. Yes, and that's what we want from our catcher, you know, to be able to. And that's a big reason why we have major league minute and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, a catcher of the caliber that Austin Hedges is, I, I think, is is that know how the defensive skills and the know how to call a game is is. I think a lot bigger than it's actually given. Mm-hmm. I mean, pitch framing would be what it is, but like being able to call a game and know the hitters and know how to, you know, what sequencing to do uh, goes a long way. Um, but I digress back to major leagues. So he also asked Buddy Reed. Uh, John Conniff also asked Buddy Reed uh, about um, the question is, I always thought you worked really hard, but you made some adjustments in the offseason. Was one becoming more spread out at the plate? 
phrasing. Um, Buddy Reed, Buddy Reed rec- uh, responds, in a sense, they wanted me to use my legs more and get a better base. The main thing is to feel comfortable. I changed my whole swing in Australia, where, uh, where Reed played winter ball, to where it is now. I've been putting up good numbers and hope to continue with the players and coaching staff around me. I love that. With the players and coaching staff around me. Mm-hmm. Teachable. Yes. You have to be teachable. Even in the major leagues, even the, the greats are like, I'm still trying to adjust. You know, I, I, I listened to Joey Vidal the other day on MLB Network, uh, and he's talking about just trying to get, be a better ball player, just trying to learn more and try to adjust and try to be better. Um, yeah, and that's, that reminds me of an interview I saw earlier this year with Edwin Rodriguez the manager at Lake Elsinore that they were asking what's the difference with Buddy Reed why is he having success and that was his his answer was he listens he's listening we're giving him input he's turning it into game situations so you love that that he's got the athleticism but he's also got the coachability yeah. to, to put it all together that's it's wonderful so that's about it for the uh, for the futures game yes let's get on to the affiliates all right let's start at the top of the Let's, let's start in Triple A, mm-hmm. El, El Paso. Um, this last Thursday, Forrest Alday has now as many home runs for the Chihuahuas as he has had in his first 357 professional games. Now we're t- we're talking what, like five, six, seven home runs? Yeah, it's not, it's not a lot, but still. <laughs> you know, I didn't look that part up. <laughs> yeah, he's a, a post prospect kind of a guy that's having a nice season. You know, and like we talked about last part, last episode, is maybe someone that can come up. Fill in. Maybe we make him into something. Maybe a bench player or... Maybe. I don't know if I'm so hopeful for that. I, I think it's more if, if a couple of guys got injured, okay. you know, then he's a guy that you'd call up. I, I don't really see them giving him a chance, especially with all the other guys that they need to put on the 40-man roster by this December. That's true. Speaking of which, Brett Kennedy. Yes. Brett Kennedy's pitched five solid innings, first eighth win on Monday. Uh, Kennedy's allowed a pair of earned runs with uh, while throwing 96 pitches. He has a 2.65 ERA. The AAA All-Star has easily been the most successful starter that El Paso has seen in the past few seasons. Which is when is September going to come to get this guy up? Well, I don't know if they if they need to wait until September. If a couple of trades happen, if Tyson Ross is out of the rotation, um, Luis Perdomo's been struggling. It, the the rotation is definitely very thin. Right. So one move could could force them to bring up somebody like Brett Kennedy. Meanwhile, just stay hot and in AAA, Brett. Yeah, keep um, waiting for your chance. And that's that's been him all the way up through every level. He's never been somebody on the prospect list, but he just keeps performing. And it's one of these guys you just can't turn him away. He just keeps doing well. It's like Adam Simber through spring training. Yeah. Like, all right, he hasn't given up a run yet. We can't tell him to go home. So yeah. he's making the team. Yeah. <laughs> and then a lot of times when it comes to game time, those guys fall flat. Simber has done really well. He has. And and Kennedy succeeded in a very difficult situation pitching in, in, the, in the Pacific Coast League. Yeah. That, uh... <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. Anyways, Robert Stock, who worked another scoreless inning on Monday, picked up a six save. Since moving up to the PCL, has struck out nearly a batter an inning and held opponents to a 150 average. He hasn't allowed a run in his last 12 outings. And another one of those shuttle guys that just seems to go up, go down. And I think a lot of these guys, you know, kind of going off what you just said a minute ago, they're just going to be down there waiting until trades are made. Yes. Okay, um, then they're going to bring them up. And then, mm-hmm. you know, if we lose a, a Tyson Ross or a starter, you know, we have a solid starter in AAA that at least will fill the hole 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, admirably, I can't think of another word, but just, you know, uh, well enough to, you know, stay the course or whatever. Yeah, if Kirby Yates gets traded, then I could see somebody like Robert Stock or Phil Maton sliding right into that role. That's right. Maton's back in, in AAA. I don't, you know, I don't even know where he is right now. He's uh, been up and down so much, it's hard to keep track. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Trey Wedgenter. Yeah. You can definitely see him. Um, so let's move on to San Antonio. There's mm-hmm. lots. We've we've got a lot. We've got a lot going on here, folks. Uh, <laughs> every week. Every week. Uh, last Friday, Logan Allen won his league-leading ninth game and lowered his league-leading ERA to 2.68. His four strikeouts added to a league-leading total of 106. You've been saying league-leading a lot. I'm and I said it three times fast. Yes. <laughs> um, and you, you know my grasp of the English language. Um, but the, which is just the, I was just wanted to highlight the Logan Allen is killing it in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Paddock, so there was a doubleheader on Friday. Chris Paddock was a tough luck loser in game two, as the only hits he allowed of the whole game were a pair of triples that came around to score on RBI ground outs. In the first two Texas League starts, he has nine strikeouts and two walks in 12 innings. He's keep he's just keeping you know, on doing right. what he was doing in, Paddock in the being, high A. Paddock being Paddock. Yeah. Happy St. Paddock Day. (laughs) When I hear about his preparation and his focus on game day, it sounds like the kind of thing where you could put him in any situation and he's going to be the same dude. Hmm. That you can put him in that, you know, under the bright lights and he's got his routine down. He's got his mental preparation. So he's going to go out there and pitch the same regardless of whether he's on a high school field or down at Petco Park. Right. And which I can really appreciate with someone like Eric Lauer who, who, you know, they say is just nothing phases him. And, you know, having to go up the major leagues and having limited, you know, some limited success and some, some, you know, some more not so much success, more than success. But like, still, it doesn't fade. Like, it's it is what it is, and mm-hmm. it's just part of the process. I the think process, yes. Um, and then Saturday, Cal in his past four starts, uh, in four of his past five starts, has given up four earned runs or more. He has continued to struggle to close out at bats. He gets two strikes on guys and can't shut the door. They foul it off. I watch these at bats. He gets two strikes on, on you know. First pitch fastball, curveball. They see it again, and then it's foul, foul, foul. Then they'll get a hit. You know, mm. then he'll get, they'll lose. I don't know focus, but the command, and he just can't seem to finish him off. And I thought he had one of the better changeups in like the organization. Well, yeah, that was his calling card when they drafted him. Hmm. Was fastball location, and then this really good changeup off of it. Yeah. But if he can't close the close hitters out, what's the difference? Yeah. Where, where's the breakthrough? Is it sequencing? Is it him trusting his pitches? What is it? Which you know, which is which is fine. There's been a lot of talk about him regressing and, and not doing so well. You know, it's it, we all all players they kind of move up and go down, move, or you know, they learn and grow at their own pace. Um, I got a couple notes here from from Mad Friars again um, on a couple on a couple players that I wanted to touch on. Uh, John Conniff was in uh, was in extended time over in in San Antonio and was asked, "Can Josh you know can Josh Naylor play left field?" He's, and he says he's not going to he's not going to give you great range, and he can still shed some more weight. But he takes good routes, and yes, he is athletic. After a few early season throwing miscues, he has demonstrated a strong, accurate arm. Now this is Philip Wellman on Naylor. Uh, the only time he has problems making a play is when he has to do something that he's never seen before. He doesn't make the same mistake twice. Then you realize he's going to be on the other side of the diamond after having played first base his whole life and learning how to track balls that are slicing off a left-hander's bat. It's been impressive. 
So hearing that from you know hearing that from Coach Wellman is 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 an endorsement. Mm-hmm. At least he's on the right track. Yeah, when a player gets put out to left field because you can't find a defensive place somewhere else for him, we think about playing in a corner outfield spot like it's just easy. Like oh, they, anybody can go out there. Right. But there's a lot to it. You need to have the right body positioning. You need to know how the spin's going to come off it. You need to be able to pick the ball up. And watching Will Myers in left field this year since he's been back up, I've been impressed by how quickly he gets the ball back in. Yeah. That he gets it up and the ball's out of his hand real quick. And that's because he's got the mechanics down of how to pick it up, plant your feet, get the ball out of your hand. There's no pick it up, turn around, crow hop, and then get the ball in. Um, And it takes a long time to learn all of these things. Yeah. So that's a good point about him playing on first base. He's used to seeing these high fly balls and slicing the other way. And so then when you're out there in the outfield and you see a ball that starts to your left, and you turn your shoulders that way and starts running, and then it, it slices curves, over right. your head. I mean, and then you got to turn your shoulders the other way, and you're done. Yeah. You're done. The ball's to the fence, and you're embarrassed, and you're throwing into the. Yeah. It, it's a bad place to be. But he's making those adjustments every time he learns from it. Yeah. So keep him. You know. So he's going to be there double A all year. He'll probably make it to triple A next year. Almost probably solely is. Uh, as a left fielder, I would think maybe back and forth, but um, he's 21. He's 21, Ex- exactly. But just to, you know, changing that position totally made me think of Moneyball when um, I don't know who, who they wanted someone to play first base and 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 Brad, you know, Billy Bean, Brad Pitt, Billy being Brad, Brad Pitt being Billy Bean, um, goes we can have him play first base. His first base is easy. <laughs> Isn't it Wash? And then, you know, uh, I don't know who was Ron playing. Ron Washington. Ron Washington's character was like, it's an incredibly difficult position to play. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just can't throw a guy into a position and go like, he'll be fine. Yeah. You have to learn it. Doesn't matter how athletic you are. And he is athletic. Mm-hmm. Sure, he's got a little weight on him, but he moves well and, you know, that's okay. And if he has to lose weight in the future, that's fine. You it know? sounds like he's been losing weight already. Well, you play in the Texas League all year. That's gonna, yeah, you're gonna sweat some bullets out there. True, true. Ah, sorry, I'm the Mountain. I had a Mountain Dew. Oh so. yeah, this is the throwback <laughs> stuff. Real sugar, real good. So, <laughs> we might be here for a while, folks. Uh, moving on. Uh, that was Phil. That was Wellman on Josh Naylor. Austin Allen, 6'4", is primed to move uh, to first base, but he really doesn't want to move, and he's willing to put in some work to stay behind the plate. Allen is now at pretty lean 212 pounds and has improved every aspect of his performance behind the plate. Last year, he threw only 21% of runners attempting to steal. This year, he's at 37%. Offensively, he's in a bit of a slump, but still among Texas leaders in home runs with 16, 24 doubles, a 538 slugging percentage, and a total of 163 bases. Uh, with half of his games at Nelson, Nelson Wolf Stadium, easily the toughest park to hit in the Padres system. The downside is for a cleanup hitter, he has been struggling with runners in scoring position, only hitting 220, 321, and 394, compared to his overall numbers of 300, 360, and 538. In, in a couple of weeks ago, I brought up a Dennis Lynn article where he was talking to Austin Allen and talking about the work they put in in the offseason. Um, he works out with, I think it's Francisco Lindor um, in the offseason. Really? And so... It, He's and every year he's been showing this progress behind the plate. He doesn't want to go to first, first base. base, and you can Lance Parrish played behind the plate for a long time. Um, Sal Perez now is a large catcher behind the plate. Right. But the idea is that large catchers have a hard time properly.
really receiving the ball down low. Uh, he's put in the work to stick there, though. One thing I'm curious to get your thought on. So Brad Hand is a trade candidate for the Padres, and the Indians seem like a pretty good trade match for him right now. A lot of talk has been going, has been circling around Francisco Mejia, who's their top catching prospect. He's a switch hitter, and the profile that I read about him sounds a lot like Christian Bethencourt. Okay. And he's got a very powerful bat, and he's got a cannon of an arm. Um, How's his receiving? And Yeah, it sounds like that's still a work in progress. Okay. And so they tried him at third base a little bit last year, very limited. And then this year, he's been playing in the outfield a fair amount. So that makes me wonder if they got a look at him at third base and it didn't pan out so well. They didn't like what they saw. Right. So then they thought, okay, let's try him in the outfield. But if that trade were to happen, right now, Austin Allen is, it, for all intents and purposes, he seems lined up to be the backup catcher as early as next year behind yeah. Austin Hedges. Yeah. So then you've got this defensive whiz. And then behind him, you've got an opposite hitting slugger who can also play a little bit of first base. Yeah. Now, if you bring Mejia in, he kind of has that same kind of profile where he's a slugger. Slugger, maybe not the best receiver, switch hitter, so you can use him in kind of a platoon situation. Right. So it makes somebody almost redundant. Yeah. I guess with Austin Allen, he's in double A, so you could hold him down a little bit, but the way he's crushing it in double A, I don't know I don't know why you would need to hold him back. He needs he's one of these guys that is gonna have to go on the 40 man roster to be protected from the um, rule five. Yeah. So if you're gonna put him on the 40 man, you might as well Get something out of him, right. I think. Right, absolutely. Get him, you know, get him out there. Get him up the triple A. Um, yeah, I. Uh, what, what do you? God, give me a second. What do you? What do you do that? And then um, if you bring Mejia in as an outfielder, well, now you got Myers, Renfro, Fran Mill, uh, Franchi, Margot, Jankowski. I, it's 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 a it's not a bad problem to have a lot of people in the outfield. You know, a lot of position, a lot of depth at a position. Yeah. But you got to find playing time for everybody, and you can't affect people's development. Mejia's been in AAA, I think, all of this year, and he saw some MLB time last year. Okay. So they burned an option on him this year. I don't think they burned an option on him last. Last year, anyway, I'm just talking out of my head right now. Wow, but <laughs> that's good talk. Yeah, I've been thinking <laughs> a lot about this. Um, well, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what we get. We'll um, lots to think about. Yeah, um, I'm. I like. You know, here's the thing about catchers is you just they all can't. You either get either one or the other. You either a solid defensive guy that can't hit, mm-hmm. or and I'm not just saying that because of Austin Hedges, but you know, most of the time you get. You don't get a Sal Perez where he's good on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. Great defensive catcher, and he hits for average and for power. Those guys are very rare. So if he, you know, and I'll almost take the bat. You know, depending on what, in the lineup that we have, you can't only you can only hide one guy in yeah. nine. You know, maybe yeah. two. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of thinking of who uh, who was hit on the Astros you know lineup last year, but um, this topic came up on on a discussion a while ago, and I had to dig pretty deep to find a couple of examples of World Series winning teams with two particularly weak positions. Right. Uh, I, they're not coming to the top of my head, but I had like within the last 20 years, there were like three examples I came up with, and even those were pretty weak arguments on my behalf. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to have to have a solid, solid lineup. And it's going to mm-hmm. take time for those guys to develop even once they get to the major leagues. Moving on over to the Storm, uh, this last Friday, uh, starter Nick Margovicius was officially welcomed to the Cal League by being roughed up at the launching pad at Lancaster. 
Cape Lancaster. So for those that don't know, Lancaster is one of the most notorious hitters parks in the whole nation. It's at a little bit of elevation. It's in the Mojave Desert. It's the thin desert air and the ball just sails. And wind blows out. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't put it in here, but I remember it was. The wind was twenty miles an hour. Holy cow! Blowing out, man. So and and, and uh, you know, and I didn't put down the the game that we did really well. Everyone had like three doubles. And everyone went like two for four. Or, Three for four. Yeah, I'll see those. Then I'll look at. It. Oh, it was in Lancaster. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Which is nice if you want up your, uh, you know, up your average. Um, and we'll go into a little bit of that Lancaster. But that's why you don't scout the stat line. Exactly. Well, we'll go into that a little bit later on with some of Hudson Potts numbers. Um, despite giving up eleven hits, uh, Margovic just uh, just two were for extra bases, a double and a three run homer. Whoops. Uh, that's all right. And his three strikeouts tied for the lowest number on the year. I wonder if he was trying to stay out of the zone and yeah. stay down at the bottom of the zone and keep the ball on the ground. Yeah. Because he's he's a strikeout pitcher. He is. And, you know, it's Lancaster. So, uh, still, I still think that's 11 hits and only giving up, you know, three runs isn't bad at all, you know, for uh, for Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunday, Michel, Michel Baez struck out six over seven innings, allowing three runs in a game that he exceeded his total innings limit from 2017. So, he is now breaking that ceiling into stretching him out a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. I'm sure over the next the course of the season, you know, don't be surprised if you see only five innings. And even though doing well, um, they're pulling him out. You know, they really want to limit him with the back issues that he had earlier this year. Um, we don't want to have him develop any, you know, just kind of limit that and keep an eye on it and see how he's doing. I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, for some silly reason, put him on a phantom, you know, um, DR, DL, just to kind of limit his innings. Mm-hmm. Um Monday, infielder Hudson Potts went three for five, smashing his 16th homer of the season. Potts, who had hit 20 homers last year in Fort Wayne, has a very good chance of reaching the plateau for the second consecutive season before he turns 20. Potts has also hit a league-leading 31 doubles and could eclipse 60 extra base hits in the Cal League. His four, his uh, he hit four of his homers and four of his doubles in seven games in Lancaster. <laughs> Launch pad. <clears throat> Launch pad, but we appreciate it. He seems like he's getting stronger as the season goes by. Right? Yes. Um, I have that. His production has improved every every month this season. That it's, sounds it's, a lot like Tatis last year. It's improved. Where did I have that? I have that somewhere. Um, boop, 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 boop. Anyways, I, it, that's, but I read that. I believe it. And um, it has improved every month. So, um James Clark from the East Village Times pod, uh, East Village Times podcast from the East Village Times uh, had a chance to interview Hudson Potts, and and if you guys haven't got a chance, check out East Village Times. Um, tons of great writing, um, great podcast. They just I was listening to the hundredth episode on the way over here, um, and I was kind of thrown off because James started the pod with a totally different. He had the the song and he had Cal on there, um, but he didn't. Usually he goes greetings, folks, and he said welcome, Padre fans. I'm like, oh, what? Who's that? <laughs> God, even Patrick, even Patrick was seemed to be nicer. You know, I don't know what was going on. Like, is that Patrick? That sounds like Patrick, but he seems to not be so. You know, well, he got into it later on about the pods because the you know whatever. Um, but um, anyways, I, I, I think I heard that that Patrick went to um, Costa Rica a while ago, and so maybe something mellowed him out on the trip there. Nice, yeah. Just... I haven't noticed him picking fights on Twitter or anything like that. That yeah, I, I don't I don't know anything about that, and, <laughs> and uh, don't doesn't really matter to me. But uh, let me read a little bit of his article that uh, that James had uh, interview with uh, Hudson Potts. 
Um, you know, he asked him about Fernando Tatis Jr. and he said, I love him. He's a great guy. I've known him since I first signed. We have played together ever since. He's a super talented. He is super talented in every aspect of the game. He can do things with a bat and is a great defender at short. I got a lot of info from Will Myers when he did when he did his rehab here this year. Um, when, he, when he did his rehab here this year, we talked a lot. We spoke about different approaches and stuff that he had learned. He was trying to help me. I take a lot of pride in my defense. I always have. I have a set routine and I do every day and I do that every day. I make adjustments every now and then. I try to practice stuff that I'm actually that will actually come back in the game. I didn't want to read the whole thing, but that's that's a big part of it. Um, I, I love that he was down there, you know, that Will was able to, you know, buddy up with Will and mm-hmm. and um, say what you guys want about Will Myers um, having him go down there and doing that and wanting to show these guys how to be major leaguers and giving them tips I, I think it's great yeah he could have just said I'm down here to work don't bother right. me big leading you know big leading yeah um, I wonder if did he buy him dinner? Uh, I don't know. I it, think that's a that's kind of a tradition. It, it, I was reading a, a thing of who was it was talking about. They were talking about one of the Japanese players. This was in the the, um, the Dodgers organization, and the guy was down at Single A on a on a rehab, and like the Japanese guy bought everyone steaks, right? He, yeah, but he wasn't going to at first. He was kind of offended that people were saying like, "Hey, you gonna are you gonna do this?" But it's a you gotta these kids aren't making money. No. They're they're making nothing. They're not making. <laughs> enough to pay their rent and so yeah. that's to totally digress when we were at spring training we were watching logan allen pitch and we didn't know who we were sitting next to but it turns out we were sitting right next right behind logan allen's mom and right next to his sponsor from lake elsinore lake elsinore has a, a booster club okay. most minor league teams have a booster club and so these families take the minor leaguers in and they give them a place to stay and they fill their fridge with food so that they don't have to worry about paying the rent and having yeah. to live on little caesar's pizza forever yeah so well, this family had been the the foster home foster home that's not the right the term. host family the host family for for logan allen and josh naylor so it was neat hearing how that worked yeah well that's what you know my Liddy and i that's what we want to do when i retire is we want to move out of san diego and go live in some small minor league city and be a host family uh have a simpler life with mm-hmm. simpler baseball and and house some of these guys and they make you uh they make you take two athletes in and uh, having having friends that have had kids in, in the minor league systems, like there's a there's kind of a friendly rivalry between host families of like how they treat their guy. Oh, like I'm a you know I'm, I'm a chef, so like I'm gonna go like they're gonna get they're gonna get regional food from where they're from the Dominican. I'm gonna learn Dominican. If they're Cuban, I'll learn Cuban. If they're Panamanian, I'm learning how to fry plantains. You know, I want to get a gym because I want to work out when I retire. Mm-hmm. Can you and. and I want to do all these things with these guys um, just because I will be retired and have nothing else to do. Uh, but that's our plan is to move to a small minor league city and be a host family. Oh, that's and, wonderful. You know, and it makes sense. Um, and I talked to, like, when I went to the spring training a couple years ago, I talked to one of the dads and I we asked a father, like, he didn't, they didn't have, like, I can't remember what player it was, but he had, you know, he didn't, he had one in Lake Elsinore. It's expensive to live in California. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have one in Fort Wayne. I guess it's, you know, it's not so expensive to live there. Um, maybe those guys can probably like stuff five guys into a two bedroom house, which often happens, and uh-huh. that's a whole other topic. Um, but he, you know, so there were certain areas where they did and where they didn't. But we're gonna find out one of those cities that we like that are where it doesn't snow. I don't do snow, um, and uh, and go be a host town. That's our that's our dream. That's a neat dream. It's a neat dream, and I digress. So. Um, 
So we were moving over to Fort Wayne here. Yes. You know, um, last Thursday, Mason Thompson allowed seven hits, including a homer. But the good news is that Thompson had walked two or less batters in nine straight starts. You know, he's uh, he's coming back from Tommy John from a year ago, yeah? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, he was, I think when he was drafted, he was rehabbing from Tommy John. That's right. Okay, and this is his second full season. I think um, this could be his first full season. I don't know off the top of my head. Um, but he was a high school pitcher, so he's, this, yes. he's very young. Mm-hmm. Um, he's averaged more than a strikeout per inning in that span, so that's so that's good. We, the wins and losses don't really matter. It's the you know, strikeouts and the lack of walks. Yes. Um, fourth round, here's one. Fourth round uh, pick Dylan Coleman pitched a scoreless inning, walking one with a strikeout. Coleman recently was promoted from Tri-Cities. Although he was a starter in college, Coleman has pitched exclusively out of the pen as a pro because he threw 102.2 innings uh, for Missouri State this last year. And they'll monitor, and Padres will monitor his innings um, before they can turn him loose next year. Yeah, that's a good contrast right there. That So Dylan Coleman, he was a college, I believe he was a college senior. And so this is a guy that's physically mature. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's there. You would think that somebody like that coming out of college isn't going to be a project. So this is somebody that should move fast like a Lucchese or a Lauer. Because you're not going to mess with his repertoire or his right. grip or his mechanics a whole lot. You just kind of let him go and work on the, the approach stuff and the mental side. So he got sent straight into full season single A where Mason Thompson, I think he spent most of last year in the Arizona Summer League. Um, a little bit of time in Tri-Cities. So they take the slower route with the high school the kids high school that pitchers. need to build up arm strength and, and need that fine-tuning and mm-hmm. kind of the fundamentals of, of pitching. Yes. So then the opposite of that is Mackenzie Gore. Right. So this last Sunday. Because <laughs> he's the rare polished high school pitcher. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mackenzie Gore struck out 10, tossing a career-high 93 pitches. But he walked three and unleashed a pair of wild pitches. <laughs> you know, and we were talking about it last. We were talking about it last podcast. Um, with Dylan Sin of uh, the Journal Gazette, of, you just got to let that guy, he's a wild stallion, <laughs> which made me think of uh, Bill, Bill and Ted's, Ted's Excellent yeah. Adventure. Um, <laughs> be excellent to it. Yes, Padre Twitter, be excellent to each other, huh? Um, yeah, have 10 strikeouts. Um, had the bad game, but finished his outing, striking out four of the last five batters he faced. I'm sure he's focusing on the pro- the, yeah. the process. The we process. talk about the process yes. more than the results. So you don't look at the, the box score with him. You look at, you know, strikeouts and walks are important. Yeah. But really it's the execution and the mental side. Yeah. Uh, you got a note here that Tirso Ellis went three for four with a double and an RBI. Um, he's just cruising. Yeah. Him and Rosario, they're yeah. just cruising. He's not even 19 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Both of those guys. Um, and... They talked about, you know, at the Futures game, was it the Futures game they talked about? They they mentioned, they were talking about the other minor leaguers, they'd, they'd mentioned him. I might be making this up, but I thought they might have talked about it because all the scouts just love this guy. He's, they do. If you see him uh, at Fort Wayne, he is built. At mm-hmm. 18, he's a man. He has a man body. And it's not, like, it's not going to get fat. It's muscle. The kid is is he's built. Well, he's not even filled out though. Right. But he's he's tall. He's got the broad shoulders. Right. He's got the he has the frame to carry a lot more power than he has right now. Yeah. But right now he has the athleticism that he was playing center field uh, in the winter. So I I, I love those kinds of ball players. You just yeah. love that build. You, yeah. you know. But but it's the it's the contact skill and the strike zone command that is something that you can't you can't take an 18 year old and say here's how you do this. It takes him years to learn that. Yeah. He came into the system already with that, and on top of that, he's got the physique to become a five tool player. Mm. 
Speaking of five-tool player, didn't uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk about Robbie Podolsky a little bit later on. Okay. Because uh, we totally skipped over him. Because no, we're well, we're in Fort Wayne. We're in Fort Wayne. Okay. Well, get a little ahead of myself. Okay. Yeah. Um, moving on. So this last Monday, uh, Osvaldo Hernandez pitched six shutout innings, allowing just three hits, lowering his ERA to a league leading two point oh nine. I think I I quoted last episode. It was it was at two. Uh, but he's still leading at 209. Mm-hmm. While the strikeouts aren't abundant, Hernandez can touch in the mid 90s and shows a good curve. And that's full A ball is to develop that third pitch. Short season is to get command. Um, and then the second A ball and advanced A is the development of that third pitch and com- becoming a complete pitcher. Um, with that, that's you know that's all that's all the stuff I got for when you want to touch on Robbie Podorsky. Sure. So uh, he's kind of the 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 anti um, Tirso Ornelas. That you look at Tirso Ornelas, you look across the ballpark and you go, oh, I'm going to watch that guy. Robbie Podorsky's five foot seven. He's come everywhere he's gone. Everybody said you can't because you're because of your size. Right. But all he does is hit and steal bases and play premium defense in the outfield and produce everywhere. So there, uh, Dylan Sin, our guest from last week. Thanks again, Dylan, for joining Friend us. Friend of the podcast. He put out a great article in the Fort Wayne Gazette about Robbie Podorsky today, um, and uh, there are some really good quotes in there. So uh, one of them. <laughs> So he was talking to Anthony Contreras, the manager, and he says, you ever get one of those bouncy balls and you throw it against the wall and see it go all over the place? That's pretty much Robbie. (laughs) That's what he said after a raucous July 4th victory in which Podorsky had two hits, including a three-run triple. He's in here, very high energy from the time he steps in the clubhouse until the game is over, asking questions. He's a student of the game. And that, when you were talking about uh, about Hudson Potts, that yeah. made me think of that. That asking questions about different situations and what do you do and how about this and trying to study things. Uh, in 45 games with the tin caps, he's stolen 20 bases and been caught just five times. He ranks ninth in the Midwest League in steals despite missing the first six weeks of the league's schedule. The guy's, <laughs> he's a burner. He's Six weeks. He's a true... 80 scale runner. He's at the top of the scale as far as speed on the base pads and in the field. Uh, and he says, this is a quote from Podorsky, he says, when I get on uh, is really when I really have to dial in and focus because my job's not done. It's just beginning. I have to get a good jump. I have to read the pitcher, the counts. There's a lot of moving parts. It's more than just speed. So that that again speaks to the student of the game. You yeah. need to know when is a when is a good count to run. Um, you know, based on what the pitcher is doing with runners on base or not. Getting a read for the pitcher's mechanics, watching um, you know what their move is and what their if they have a tell or anything like that. Uh, oh, I wonder if he can steal signs. Oh, you little bastard! I wouldn't put it past him. Robbie Podolsky can do if, anything right now in A-ball. You got, no, if you got somebody like that that pays that kind of attention to all the details. In right. It, and then he gets on base, steals second, and now he's up there watching down the, you know, picking up everything that's yeah. going on. It, stealing signs is is against the rules. Is it, as old as Major League as but yeah, baseball. It's a part of the game. Just don't get caught doing it. If it's It's not, in my opinion, it's not cheating. Because if your signs aren't locked down to that point where somebody can pick them up that easy, then yeah. that's your fault for having bad yeah. signs. Yeah. And if the catcher and the pitcher can't get on the same page, that's on them. That That is part of the skill of being in the battery. So... How is how is Podorsky? He's 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 twenty four. I he's think 24? so. He's a little yeah. old for he's a little old for a ball. He was drafted out of college. Played all the last year. He played in Tri Cities, and I think Mad Friars made him the Tri Cities Player of the Year because mm. he just I mean he just he hit yeah. the guy just hit and ran and produced. And he's being held up by so many people up in Lake Elsinore. Um, it's gonna be nice to see him move up to Lake Elsinore next year. I don't even know if it's gonna take that long. 
Well, let's hope that. And, yeah. and, and, and speaking of which, it would be... Well, we'll probably see Mackenzie Gordon next year up in Lake Elsinore. Um, he better not skip Lake Elsinore like Tatis did. I, you know what? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I think they're going to go good and slow. If, if, if he spends the rest of this year in Fort Wayne, monitor him. He's not dominating. He's doing well, yeah. but he's not just a, a big fish in a small pond. He's doing well enough to stay there and, and produce and, and, and learn... You know, especially after the blister issues will keep him down there. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts there and then like a paddock does really well and, and moves up to double A mid mid season next year. I don't know. Even with the blister issues, he's still on a pretty good uh, innings progression. Yeah. He's gonna fill up his innings limit this year, even though he missed a chunk of, of time. Uh, moving on to the Tri Cities. Do we have is that is that is that it from Podorsky? The Yeah, that's all I have on, on Podorsky. I, what I'm looking up here, I wanted to see. <laughs> I was going to say, well, thank you, Roy. Just, just <laughs> for your for homework, heck, for your book report. I, we talk about being aggressive with pitchers, with talented pitchers moving up. I thought I'd take a look at what Clayton Kershaw did. I'm, I'm not saying that Mackenzie Gore is Clayton Kershaw, right. but Kershaw was a polished left-handed pitcher coming out of high school who was already physically mature and all of this. He spent one year in rookie ball, which would be the um, Arizona Summer League. He spent one year bouncing between A and double A, and then he made his major league debut his third year as a professional. Wow. That's Kershaw, though. That's Kershaw. At age 19, at age 19, he made his major, at age, I'm sorry, at age 20, he made his major league debut. It wasn't against the Padres, was it? Oh, I have no idea. I can, I can look, I can find it, though. Yay, baseball reference. Let's see his 2008 game log. Um, it was against St. Louis. Okay. He did. He faced the Padres uh, in his 21st appearance that season. Okay. So he's not going to be Clayton Kershaw. Don't get. Don't don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> if if McKenzie's going up and if he if he makes it up if he progresses well and he's up in 2021 20, 21. Uh huh. I would be perfectly fine with that. Yeah. That's. Four years of solid minor league ball. More than anything, I want the guy to be healthy and properly, you know, mature when he comes up. I don't want to see him come up prematurely and then get shelled and, you know, whatever. It racks his confidence and he's gone. Not that I think he seems too mentally tough for that, but it's just fun to dream. It is. It is (laughs) nice fun to dream. And God, that's all we have right now as Padre fans. Uh Let's move on to Tri-Cities. There were some roster moves this last Thursday. Um, Padres sent down former third runner Mason House and infielder Ronaldo Ilrazara, Ilazara, Ilaraza, excuse me, um, back to the Arizona League. House 19 struggled in Tri-City, hitting just 121, 228, uh, 276 with a 44% K rate. Woof. Uh, House had strikeout issues in the AZL last year, but the left-handed hit well above average. He was drafted out of high school last year, yeah. and he didn't see high-level competition in his high school campaign. Yeah, so he, he being, I think he's one of those guys that didn't really play the circuit, right? He didn't play no, the high didn't. school circuits, no, and so didn't. he could have been, and, and this is this is fine, mm-hmm. he could have been a big fish in a little pond. You know, you can be a 500 hitter in high school, but if you're playing against, you know, in, in a weak in a weak high school region, you're just, a, you put him up against some good players, and it's, it's going to take a little bit longer to adjust, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the roster moves for Tri-Cities. Uh, I have down here lefty Dan Dallas, cousin to all-star Paul Goldschmidt. I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I wasn't pausing for dramatic effect. I really actually forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> um, cousin to, yeah, Paul Goldschmidt has 25 strikeouts in 16 innings. 
only against only five walks. Those Paddock esque and seven hits. Well, but he's a reliever. He's not a starter. Paddock was doing that in right. starters, right? But still, uh, you like seeing the strikeout numbers. You like seeing the low walk rate, and he hasn't given up a run yet. Absolutely, and uh, and Michael Curry, who gave me a follow on Twitter last week, uh, is hitting two fifty three, three forty nine, and three seventy three in Tri Cities. Okay. I was kind of still when he, when he when he followed me. I gave him the message. Hey, listen to Friars on the Farm. <laughs> so keep listening if you're listening, Mike. I appreciate it. I saw you swing uh, the other night when Tri Cities was uh, was televised, which is very rare, and uh, it looked good. Mm. Moving on to Olivier Basabe. Olivier David J. Thank you for correcting me. I put Oliver. I think the past couple times that I've <laughs> tweeted out his name, I put Oliver and. And David, it's like Olivier. Uh, his thirty, his thirty-four total bases are third on the team, despite being seventh in the team in plate appearances. He has an eight seventy OPS and seventy-two plate appearances. Grant Little has hit safely in all eight of his games with the Dust Devils. Basibi fifteen point three percent. Little two twelve point one, and Owen Miller eleven point nine have all been difficult to strike out early on for the Dust Devils. Miller's slash line is 333, 372, and 441. So Grant Little and Owen Miller were both drafted this year. Yeah. So brand new guys into pro ball, and they're hitting the ground running. Basabe, I believe, was an international signee. He was. He was, and spent every uh, every minute, I think, last year in, in the AZL. Okay. They might have been up and I know that they said the thing is the second time around, but uh, it, he's doing really well. He's hitting really well. Yeah. Um, Sunday, Angel Acevedo delivered another strong performance. The 19-year-old Venezuelan has worked two straight outings without allowing a run to drop his ERA to a point nine one nine nine. Excuse me. Uh, he doesn't possess high velocity, but competes with a strong pitch mix. Okay. Hitters off balance. Hitters off balance. All right. It's all about timing. And then how about the tall, skinny guy with the funny name? Yes! H-squared dominated Vancouver as a 19-year-old pitched seven shutout innings to put him atop the ERA leader in the Northwest League at 2.43. That would be Henry Henry, for those of you new to the show. H-squared, baby. Um, he's really starting to come into his zone. I, I, I'm really hoping that it's uh, whatever it was in... In Fort Wayne, that, you know, cold weather, uh, new environment. I don't know. He pitched really bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, when it's cold, it's tough to get warm. He is lanky. There's not a lot to keep warm there. There's a lot of moving parts to his delivery. You know. He's he's really lean. So I wonder if if it's going to take a while for him to get up the strength to be able to consistently repeat his delivery. Right, right. And not be so skinny where it's bone chilling, truly bone chilling cold yeah. uh, in Fort Wayne. So I wouldn't be surprised if if he gets moved up a little bit later on, just to kind of say, all right, you've kind of evened out. Let's see what you're doing now when you're back up there. I wonder how many kids on that Fort Wayne team that was the first time they ever saw snow. I don't um, think there's snow in the Dominican no, Republic or in no, Panama. There's, no, or... <laughs> <laughs> there's not. Um, uh, to finish out Sunday in the AZL. Uh, Augustin Ruiz, a 19-year-old from southern Mexico, has a whippy swing uh, from the left side and moves well in the outfield, has added 70 points to his OPS over the last three games while going 5 for 11. Manny Guzman gave up just one single as he and two other pitchers trolled a one-hitter at Sloan Park. The big Dominican has easy velocity when he gets through his delivery. He struck out 28 and 21 innings of work this year while also cutting walk rate to a respectable 3-9, 3-9. Three, you... three walks per nine innings. Yeah, three walks per nine innings. I'm, on, <laughs> I'm reading it literally. <laughs> um, Sean Gulaby 
Gilby? Gilby? He uh, he had three hits, including a double, and avoided a strikeout for the first time in seven games since signing. The right-handed hitting infielder has four of his seven hits go for extra bases. And he hasn't been, he's signed, what, three weeks ago? He was one of the late, one of the later guys to sign after the draft. So, um, one last thing I've got on here. Baseball America came out with their, they revised their top 100 list today. Um, after the draft and the start of the international signing period, they updated with all these new prospects into the mix. Um, and the Padres are only getting stronger. We've got Fernando Tatis at number two overall. Whoop. Mackenzie Gore at number 19. Adrian Morihone at number 23. Luis Urias at 32. Chris Paddock at number 63 and rising. Logan Allen is rising at number 75. Um, uh, uh, Baez, Michelle Baez has fallen. He was at 41. Now he's at 78, but you know. Um, and then Quantrill at 93 and Naylor at 94. So the Padres have nine of the top 100 players, prospects in baseball, according to Baseball America. And then another neat thing, um, fan graphs. Kylie McDaniel has started his series of the most valuable players in baseball. They start from number 50 and go all the way up. He ranked... Fernando Tatis Jr. as the 39th most valuable player in baseball. Um, in baseball. In all of baseball. Wow. Yeah, because of his youth and his his Ceiling. projection right. and all of this. So his quote here was, If Tatis comes up tomorrow and has a hot six-week stretch showing sustained glimpses of the five-win monster whom many scouts and execs already expect, he would probably jump into the top 20. I originally had him ranked higher than this, but after sending the list around for thoughts, this feels like a more accurate representation of where he stands out with strong arguments out there for both raising and lowering Tatis. But for a guy that hasn't played an inning above double-A ball mm. to be listed in, as one of the 50 most valuable players in the game, and it's just incredible. Yeah. I, you know, you just, you keep, I can't, you know, I have this inner, my issue is like, I'm always waiting for the second shoe to drop. Like something's going to happen. Uh, I I hate to say it, but yeah, like, I don't know, like a plane crash or just. What are you doing? I, I just, it's my, it's my illness. Like I, I can't have anything nice. I'm a Padre fan. I'm not allowed to have anything nice. Oh, man. So to hear all these great things and have these guys do so well at the Futures game, have them succeeding in their respectable um, affiliates and levels, um, just reeks of my heart being broken. But maybe, just maybe, we might have something special here. You know, good things come to those who wait. I've been waiting well, my whole life. You found Liddy. <laughs> I found Angela. And both of us at advanced ages. Adv- you know, forty-eight is advanced. I found Lydia in forty-six, forty. Yeah, I was thirty. I was thirty-eight. Yeah, and we went through the trials and tribulations yeah. of life. So similarly, we've gone through the trials and tribulations of being a Padres fan. Yes, all these years, we've had these great players. We've had the Sean Burrows and the Melvin Nieves and all of these that just Will Venables. <laughs> Yep, and well, Will Venable had a good career. He just never. But now we have we have players in the system that have legitimate superstar potential. Tatis is looking like an impact player already. Yeah, and he's the sky's the limit. Um, Gore is mentioned in that small list of people with ace potential with ace with a capital A. Yeah, the system is strong and it's deep and it's exciting. 
Hear that, Padre fans? The system is strong. The state of the system is strong, folks. You know what we need to do, though? I haven't been up to a Lake Elsinore Storm game in a while. And Angela just walked in the door. I know she wants yeah. to go to a Lake Elsinore Storm game soon. You haven't been up in a while. No, and I work Friday, Saturday nights. Wow. Sunday, but this Sunday I have my championship game. After that, I'm open for Sundays. All right, maybe we'll make a trip up on a Sunday. I'm speaking of Baseball America, speaking of um, guests, I, we're going to try to get ourselves a guest here maybe next uh, next episode or episode after that. Okay. And we'll, I'll reach out to some people, see if I can't get uh, get someone to come on. Okay. Hopefully by then I can figure out some of these technical difficulties. That'd be great, because if we get a big name, you know, I want to be... As professional as possible, as yes, as unprofessional as we are, uh-huh. I have got a day job. Well, in the meantime, you can listen to the two of us here on the Friars on the Forum podcast. And you know, before we shut it down, I mm. want to give a big thank you to Tony Lasoya for coming up with our new logo, our new image. Dude, it's fantastic. It is awesome. Thank you so much. He's a talented individual. Well, and more people listen to the pod because we have professional professional artwork up there. Yeah, we at least look like we know what we're doing. Exactly. Um, I also want to thank uh, John Conniff and all those guys at Mad Friars and particularly thank uh, James Clark from the East Village Times. Uh, thank you guys for all the content. We will continue to uh, plagiarize and steal while we promote and progress in our podcast. And you can reach me at SD Donovan. I'm, I'm Roy at Zippy TMS, <laughs> Zippy underscore TMS. Thanks for listening to everybody. Go Padres. Thank you.